Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi. Theory. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Boshu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Today I am here with Adrienne Rafel, and she's going to tell us about crosswords. Adrienne, can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. I'm Adrienne Rafel. I'm a lecturer currently in the Princeton Writing Program. Awesome. And I hear you have written a book about this subject. I have written a book about crosswords, which <laughs> awesome. I still have to sort of say with a laugh every time. <laughs> Are you getting tired of laughing about it? Is it like, oh my god, I wish people would stop making fun of the crosswords? You know, never, because I unequivocally, I love the crossword, and I also think it's crazy that I've written a book about the crossword and spent so much of my life with it, but on the other hand, you know, I am really glad I did. Okay, so tell us then, what the heck is a crossword? All right. So a crossword puzzle, you can think of it as having two main components, right? It's got the grid and it's got the clues. Yeah. And then the grid is where you fill in the answers, the words. So it's a visual puzzle, but it's much more of a verbal puzzle, right? Yeah. The words that go into the grid, they're called the fill. Okay. In American style crossword puzzles, the grids are symmetrical and they're such that every square has to check across and down so you can't just have like letters floating randomly every letter is going to be part of a clue that goes across and part of a clue that goes down so are there other styles of crossword puzzles the two main strands of english language crosswords and english is actually the dominant language of crosswords there are crosswords in other languages there's a sort of robust French crossword community, Italian crossword, but the most widespread and widely played crosswords are in English. And those crosswords split into two main categories, which are American style, which if you close your eyes and think of the New York Times crossword puzzle, like that's an American style crossword. British style crosswords, they look slightly different visually. They're actually not symmetrical. The clues feel very different because 
a British style clue is what's called a cryptic crossword. So cryptic crosswords mean that every single clue has two layers to it. It's got a layer that's gonna like lead you to the answer, but it's got another layer wrapped on top of it that's a wordplay layer. Okay. And sometimes the wordplay layer is actually 25 different layers. It's like so many different layers to get to your answer at the end. I can give a brief example of a British cryptic if that's useful. Yeah, definitely. So the clue is pretty girl in crimson rose. And you actually know that it's eight letters. It tells you that your answer is going to be eight letters. And the answer, I'm just going to give, unless you do know the answer. I have no (laughs) guesses. I'm terrible at crossword puzzles. I just like have no capacity for it. So pretty girl in crimson rose. Rose, R-O-S-E. Crimson rose. Pretty girl in crimson rose. I am terrible at cryptics and I find them like astoundingly cool. (laughs) So the answer is rebelled. R-E-B-E-L-L-E-D. Oh, because it's a bell is the pretty girl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what's the crimson rose? So get this. So crimson is, if you think of rebelled, R-E, and then bell, and then D. Right. R-E on the one end, D on the other end. So red, so crimson. So it's a pretty girl in crimson. So the bell is inside red. Mm-hmm. And then rose is also nice because like crimson rose kind of gets red as well. But then rose is an uprising. Rose in the sense of you rebelled against something. So pretty girl in crimson rose means rebelled. Wow, that is really hard. <laughs> And that's not even the hardest. That's like oh, that's like a level three or four out of ten. Okay, I want to know about those levels, but I also want to know how the different styles developed. Like, how did you end up with these two different modes? I'll just take you a little bit back into crossword history. So the crossword was invented in 1913, which to me feels wildly new. When I went into this research, I expected crosswords to be like ancient Rome. Caesar's doing a crossword. (laughs) Word squares have been around forever and acrostics have been around forever. There's complex acrostics in the Bible. So like there's word games, of course. Yeah. Even like word square and kind of grid games have been a thing forever. The crossword's innovation was actually technological, like printing an empty grid became a lot easier to do in the early 20th century. The innovation was let's print an empty grid and let's also then print clues next to it that you can like figure out how to fill that empty grid. The editor who comes up with this, his name is Arthur Wynn. He called it a word cross puzzle. Some like typesetter actually like crossed the words to get to crossword. Nice. Printing it in this way was his innovation. He needed to fill space for the Christmas edition. He prints this thing. It becomes a hit. It becomes super popular in America in 1924 when the first book of crossword puzzles gets published and is actually the first ever book that Simon and Schuster published. Huh. And it became incredibly successful. It was just like sold out in crazy numbers overnight. This book became a huge fad in 24 and people in England had already been doing the crossword, but the book took the crossword from a more national American thing to international. When England got a hold of the crossword puzzle. They're like, well, this is 
sort of easy and dumb. <laughs> and they're like, we can do better. There's this guy named Powan Mathis. He adopted a like crossword name. He called himself Torquemada as to be like the torturer. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to make like the most torturous puzzle. We love that. Okay. So he developed this style of crossword cluing that emphasized wordplay in the clues and de-emphasized the visual symmetry. And in America, that impact of the grid and being able to solve a puzzle by crossing letters in the grid became something that was really prioritized and they deprioritized the like intense wordplay cluings. So you've given us one like really great example of the cryptic style. Can you give us an example of an American style clue? Yeah, I'll give you an example. Cluing is one of the main ways that you take a crossword and you can dial up or dial down the difficulty of it. Okay. So for example, the word bacon. So if you think of the word bacon, right, that's your answer. Okay. A clue that's a pretty easy American style clue for bacon would be fried pork thing for breakfast that'd be like a terrible clue but you get it right yeah another pretty easy fill in the blank kind of clue okay here's like a trivia thing sir francis blank then a slightly more difficult clue would be brings home the blank or something to do with money right and we're thinking about bacon in a slang way american clues when you get sort of a middle level clue it's often got a little bit of a riddling quality okay here's a hard american clue strips in a club question mark so you're like strips in a club i'm thinking about something that's like <laughs> but then you realize okay club in this clue means club sandwich and strips ah. is a noun, not a verb. And the uh -huh. question mark tells you that you're looking for something kind of cheeky or like okay. the question mark tells you that the clue is trying to throw you a little bit off guard and okay. so you're primed to think where is that leading me so a club sandwich then strips and a club sandwich are bacon yeah that kind of wordplay is pretty common in American style crosswords hard American clues are more of this like punny variety British clues have puns but often they're like puns that are so intricately based on very specific ways of pronouncing things depending on what county you're from outside London it's like, ah! <laughs> you, again you can know it if you like learn all the code stuff but American crosswords like yeah there's like things to know about crosswords and ways to get better at them but there aren't these like very particular codes this seems like a good moment to move on to our second question okay which is how do I use a crossword I think I'll give you a few ways to use it in your daily life that you might not think about there's sort of a stereotype around the crossword that my grandmother, my great aunt enjoys doing the crossword in their spare time, right? Yeah. And that is true. But also the crossword has actually like really interesting solitary and social functions. The crosswords made this like very successful jump to the phone. Mm. There are millions of people who play the crossword on their phones. The crossword's always been a really great thing to do to fill spaces that otherwise aren't filled, either because you're in a waiting room or you're commuting. Now it's like a thing on my phone, but not tied to social media. <laughs> and it also can be a great social thing of the crossword. It's something to talk about in a shared space 
that provides a way of communicating that is separate from, I just have to make small talk about something I don't know what to talk about with strangers or with yeah. people you know really well. It's close friends and family can also be like hard to really approach things. So the crossword is a really great present ground to start talking about something, communicating, and then maybe it opens up different pathways too. It's definitely going to open up different pathways. The crossword got the whole world wrapped in it, right? All right. Well, let me ask you our last question. How will crosswords save the world? I'm going to again approach that through history and thinking about when are crosswords extremely important? <laughs> and that I think will lead into how they save the world because crosswords are actually fantastic in times of crisis. The New York Times started printing its crossword on the eve of World War II. Right after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, an editor sent a memo to the publisher like 17 days later that was like, dude, people are just reading about like bleak thing after bleak thing after bleak thing. We need something in our paper that is not just like terrible. We need a crossword because a crossword is a place where people can escape, but it's not such an escape that it's totally artificial, completely removed from everything. A crossword is porous. It has to engage with the world because the clues have to have some sort of cultural reference and crosswords engage with the world, maybe even a lot more than you think. And crosswords provide certainty. That's one thing that they can do. They provide certainty with uncertainty baked into it. Like, you know that the crossword has an answer. You also know what kind of like emotional journey you're going to go through. It's like, okay, I'm going to enter into this. I'm going to not know how to solve this. I'm going to get a few of them. I'm going to like, mm, I know this thing here. I'm going to figure this other thing out. I'm going to ask my friend. I'm going to ask Google secretly, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I'm going to go from a place of confusion yeah. to a place of certainty. And I'm actually going to go through some frustration and go through some anger, but then I'm also going to get to triumph at the end. So it's not just I'm going to zone out with an adult coloring book and a glass of wine. Like, I think that's a great activity, too, but it's a very different kind of release than the, like, Aristotelian journey and actually, like, <laughs> come out at the end triumphantly with my completed crossword, right? <laughs> oh, man. I love the idea of it being an Aristotelian journey. Now we're living up to our name of high theory. This is my pet theory about crosswords that I, <laughs> I only bring to you. Yeah, and I see, I totally see that, right? Like, I see the reward of putting the world in order in those boxes. Yes. You need the struggle in order to get that reward of the pleasure of each thing in its place and all of the intersections working and, like, yeah. Precisely, precisely. You need the struggle and you get the like and and putting the world in order is so satisfying and filling in those boxes is so satisfying and i think like especially now things are always uncertain but especially when like really nothing's certain and everything is kind of shifting and changing all the time the crossroads like great we have boxes there we can put things in order this is fantastic yeah and like definitely in a time of crisis we like to imagine that crises will be sort of quick and done but it's becoming more and more apparent that the crises of systemic racism of the current pandemic of climate change those are going to be slow as fuck man slow and continuous and like just actually never ending and 
we'll probably need some crosswords to do while we're stuck in them. <laughs> Mine as well, dude. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming and talking with us. It's been awesome. This has been so much fun. <laughs> and thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.